everybody welcome to the 303rd edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage here allergies are nice and popping i don't know if you heard my nose but oh my god i used to not have this bad of allergies but now like if i step outside for a second it's it's fucking it's affecting me for a while so yeah today is a a bit of of a gift and a curse um, it's a, a gift in the sense that we get to talk about basketball. We get to escape reality just for 30, 40 minutes, two um, hours, <laughs> maybe, maybe not two hours, but it's also a curse because it does feel uh, a bit inappropriate to be talking about basketball when women's rights continue to be stripped away from them. So here we are, uh, we decided to record, um, thought it would be good to step away uh, a bit and just focus on something that brings us a little bit of joy and also to let all of our listeners know that, you know, we're, we're here for you. If you need anything, don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, we also want to choose our platform, um, in any way we, we possibly could. I, I know it's not at the level of some other podcasts or any other media outlets, but I, I think having a, a, a voice and using it is, important and the people are are bigger than just the seven or nine however many supreme court judges there are like the people you know there's an image out there that shows like all of these schools of fish tiny fish and it's almost like it's eating this big shark Mm. that's what can happen i don't know if we'll ever get there it does it just it it takes take something. And I don't know if we're going to get there. It's just, it was a, it was a devastating morning to wake up from. I heard it on the radio. Um, even though we knew this was coming for, for a couple of months, it still doesn't make it any less upsetting or just defeating. Um, but to all of our listeners out there know, like we're, we're in your corner. Uh, hopefully this is a safe place for, for everyone to, to listen to and to talk about the team that we enjoy covering. Um, did you have any thoughts on this Sage? I thought that the NBA did a really good job of promoting Title IX, and then for it to happen today just seemed like a total gut punch to uh, all the uh, to everyone. So, I mean, it's it's completely fucked up, and to see what people like Clarence Thomas is saying directly after this about, uh, but yeah, <clears throat> it, it, we're, we're in your corners. Um, we're going to use the rest of this podcast to talk about the draft, but we had to uh, start off by uh, saying that we are in your corner and um, let's talk about this trade before we talk about the draft. Yeah, it was uh, a trade that happened uh Early in draft week, the long rumored trade Portland acquires Detroit's Jeremy Grant for the trade exception that they uh, got in the CJ McCollum trade to the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, Portland sends out that protected one through four 2025 Milwaukee Bucks first round pick 
They swapped picks in the second round, 36 going to Detroit, 46 going to Portland. I believe Portland also sent out a 2025 uh, second round pick um, as, as, as well. Um, in a nutshell, I think this checks off a, a couple boxes. I think our listeners know I, I wasn't the biggest fan of acquiring Jeremy Grant. I'm more of a proponent for a full rebuild, but um, I do understand the the politics and the PR of keeping Damian Lillard. And if Damian Lillard wants to stay in Portland, I do think there is some merit in just riding it out. So if it makes Dame happy and um, it allows the team to also find other avenues of, of keeping a future somewhat bright, which they did in, with the seventh pick, which we will discuss in a bit. I, I'm happy with that. Like I would have been more upset if they traded for Jeremy Grant and then they used that decision to influence the draft and then trade for a role player that may win you five or seven more games, but ultimately doesn't get you to the goal that you're aspiring to get to. That would have been much more upsetting. But the fact that they actually used the pick I'm okay with them trading for Jeremy Grant. I don't love the fact that he's likely going to get that four-year, $100 million extension. Um, you're going to be looking at a starting lineup of, of potentially Damian Lillard, a newly signed Anthony Simons, Josh Hart making $13 million, uh, uh, Jeremy Grant going into a $25 million year contract, and whatever Yusuf Nurkic gets. So the, the lack of cost-controlled uh, team-friendly contracts isn't – isn't prevalent uh, on the Blazers. And we, we've seen this ownership group, especially an ownership group in limbo, not be willing to pay luxury tax at all costs. Now they will, if they see that there's a winner, which is good, but like last year, they, they made a trade with the Clippers to directly get out of the luxury tax. And, and yes, it was a smart decision, but when you have ownership in limbo, it, it does give me pause when you're talking about adding I think a, a role player in Jeremy Grant and paying him all-star money. So there is something to keep in mind, like Jeremy Grant right now on the contract, for what you gave up, I think it's absolutely fine. I think it gives you uh, probably the best starting power forward they've had since LaMarcus Aldridge left in the summer of 2015. But you, you are going to have to come to that crossroads when Grant is two years into that contract and 50 million left and like, are the Blazers any better off? Are you going to be able to move off that contract? You're already seeing teams uh, like the New York Knicks having to give up a lottery pick to give up, give get off of Kemba Walker's contract. There were rumors the Charlotte Hornets were looking to give give up one of their first round picks to get off of Gordon Hayward's contract. Uh, teams want cap space. They want flexibility. So right now it looks good. Later on, we will have to to see. And that's that's kind of what where, where I'm at with that. I, I think it's, you know, it probably appeases Dame a little bit and you get a good, good power forward. Hopefully you're a little bit more competitive and you also still were able to play a little bit for the future. So you mentioned the last night, I think it's the best of both worlds. I mean, Sage, we, we've talked about this. The, the roster is uh, more than a few pieces away. I don't think they're going to be contending for a championship anytime. So you keep your superstar happy, you stay competitive, but you also pick up one of the uh, highest upside guys in the draft. It's kind of hard to be too upset with that. So, I mean, I liked it much better than uh, the Clippers trade he made, and I think he got better value out of it than the Pelicans trade. So, I mean, as hard as we were on Joe Cronin, I think he did a decent job um, this week. Yeah, I think it's the best compromise. Like, you you don't turn the clock 
back or you don't turn the clock forward of like, this is when we need to push in all the chips because what, what, what was traded is so minimal in comparison to what we most feared of what it would cost for Jeremy Grant. Cause a lot of people thought it was going to take seven, but th- since it took the Milwaukee pick, it didn't like all the work that, you know, we selfishly, all the work that we did on this draft class isn't in vain this year, but like it, it doesn't push, it doesn't make anything like this is the only time we have to compete. It still gives us room to grow. Of course, in the future, it, it is scary of what he potentially could make. And the fact that we don't have those, cost control contracts to put a team together and we can't have veterans like Otto Porter take the minimum to build our team around. It makes team building scary, but it, I know a lot of people wanted us to improve and get Jeremy Grant, who is, you know, his father played for the team and all that, but it wasn't like the cost of acquisition was so low that I can't complain about that aspect of the trade. Cause Detroit got what they wanted. They were able to make a lot of deals using the pick that we traded to and get the cap space and the cap space. So they got what they wanted. We got what we wanted in terms of a starting power forward. Who's the best power forward since LaMarcus Aldridge. So it was a good deal on both sides because both teams got what they wanted and achieved their goals. Um, but yeah, if the cost of acquisition was higher, I would have, you know, more drastic takes, but since it was such a low bar, I mean, it, 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 it's a, it's a great trade on both sides. Yeah. And the reason like I'm a little bit more, I think hesitant to be like extremely excited is we all can talk about Neil O'Shea and whether you think the 2016 offseason or the 2017 draft was the biggest downfall of this franchise in recent history but financially, it, it had to be the 2016 offseason, handing out all of those contracts. You know, you're talking about Myers Leonard, you're talking about Evan Turner, uh, Alan Crabb, and Mo Harkless. The reason Portland wasn't able to keep that 2019 Western Conference Finals team, the best team Portland has had in almost two decades, was directly tied to those decisions in the summer of 2016 when he was paying role players all-star money. And you weren't able to bring back Seth Curry because you got him on the minimum. You didn't have any money to bring him back. You didn't have his bird rights. You couldn't bring back Ennis Cantor. Uh, You were thankful that Rodney Hood took the taxpayers mid-level. So you're keeping one of your your three role players. And it just all kind of fell downhill from there. And Portland's kind of been trying to dig out of that that, that ditch that they fell into ever since. They've been trying to get back to that, that place. But it was all tied back to those financial decisions, not having the full mid-level all of those years to improve the team, uh, not really having uh, much avenues in terms of enhancing the roster and building it how you want. So if you're excited, be excited, but also look cautiously into the future because you got two key free agents coming up that all indications say they're re-signing Simons, they're going to re-sign Nurkic. They're going to re-up Josh Hart's contract. That's that's fantastic. But if if it doesn't work, then you're going to kind of have to be in a similar spot where you were last 
trade deadline, like where you're trying to get off of a Norman Powell's contract, making sure Robert Covington doesn't walk for anything. Uh, CJ's got a $30 million deal with two years left. What can you get for him? So uh, it just, it's great now. I think the team will be fun. I think they're a, a, a competitor for the playoffs. Let's just hope that it, it, let's hope that Dame has more in the tank. I think he does. And if he does, that really bumps up the franchise. Then you can maybe hit with somebody in the middle level and you can maybe put together a Cinderella type of season where you uh, win a playoff series. But uh, I do like the fact that he is 28. Um, uh, I do like the fact that Portland was his preferred destination. Not many players say that. And I, I do like the fact that he does have Olympic experience. I don't think he's a quote unquote, like when you say like somebody's an Olympian, you, you think of like LeBron MJ and yeah. magic and mellow and LeBron. It, yeah, exactly. But he's still got that experience. He's played with Damian Lillard. Um, I think Jeremy Grant is several tiers. The player of the, of the 2016 crop of free agents that we signed. Like even if Jeremy Grant regresses, to the lowest he's ever been, he's still so much of a player than, you know, paying 15 million to Myers Leonard to sit on the bench. Like that was, that was drastically bad. You know, Jeremy Grant at the worst is going to be a, a good player. So yes, the, the risk is there, but I would much rather take the risk on Jeremy Grant being a good player than Myers Leonard being you know, good for four games in his career. But I, I get I get where your worries are coming from. But I think Jeremy Grant is a better dart throw and a better bet than Myers Leonard, Alan Crabb, Evan Turner, and uh, someone else that I well, Mo Harkless. You know, it's 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 bad when 2016 salary cap was so bad it was so mismanaged that I forget the actual starting player on the team. So the roster isn't finalized, but I think we can finalize the fact that Jeremy Grant will be starting at the four. Yeah. How does he fit with the current projected core of the Blazers? How do you see him being utilized? Uh, I, I think the biggest thing that training camp and the early season is going to iron out is who is Damian Lillard's true number two option and three. Like I, I really think, if you're looking at the starting lineup, including Simons, Hart, Grant, and Nurkic, on any given night, you could have any one of those players be your second or third option. Is someone, and I truly believe this needs to happen because it's an 82-game marathon, Sage, who is going to become that second option, and how do you envision Portland utilizing Jeremy Grant? How can they get him back to Denver, Jeremy Grant, where he's efficient, effective, and uh, just really ultra productive in his role. It's tough because, I mean, if you're talking about second second option, I would imagine that that's Anthony Simons because it's so much easier for him to have the ball in his hands to start. Dame's obviously going to be number one, but when Dame's off the court, who's going to be running the offense? It's Anthony Simons. He's probably going to be the second guy because you need to deliver the ball to Yusuf. You need to deliver the ball to Jeremy Grant. You need to deliver the ball to Josh Hart. Anthony Simons has it off rip if Damian Lillard's on the court. And even sometimes when Damian Lillard is on the court, Anthony Simons will have the ball. So I think to initiate offense, 
and make that first initial decision, it's Anthony Simons. And then I think as the third guy, it's Yusuf Nurkic. I, I think uh, Jeremy Grant is going to get uh, phased down a bit. Just, just like we were talking about Johnny Davis uh, a few days ago, like what happens when he gets phased down? Because I'm looking at basketball reference right now with Jeremy Grant and dude takes takes and makes uh, uh, threes. He's He's way more inefficient now that he's taking six threes a game uh, compared to three. So he's doubling his productivity or his attempts. So I think he has to scale down. And I think with him scaling down, he has players like Dame and uh, Yusuf and Ant to generate more open shots. When he is the number one guy at Detroit, he is the number one factor in that offense. So play teams will defend him differently. Now he is going to have that that closeout space that I've talked about so much with Keegan Murray and Jeremy Sojan, he's going to have that open shot and a, a much later closeout because of the options on the court. So I think that he would probably be the fourth guy just because of ants and ants going to have the ball in his hands. Use has been on the team for what seems like 17 years and Josh Hart, because of the fact that he has more ball handling responsibilities might I, I think he would be the I think Jeremy's the fourth and Josh is the fifth because Josh can make a living off of hustle plays is defense still going to be an issue for this for this for this team I don't ever expect us to be anything but bottom 10 and is I that mean, just a pro, is that just a product of the Damian small backcourt yeah well I, I think that it's improving um, I think that I think Jeremy Grant has pride defensively. I think Yusuf Nurkic has pride defensively. I think Josh Hart has pride defensively. But when you're talking about your 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 two guards not not particularly caring about defense, that's always going to be an issue. Like uh, I, I talked about the New York Knicks and Reggie Bullock, like that. Th- him not being there affected Mitchell Robinson and Nerlens Noel so much. Now we actually have one perimeter defender now, so that will make Yusuf's life easier, but it's still going to be a factor having penetration from two, two positions where it's just getting all funneled to Yusuf and that can cause fouls and, you know, all the other things. So I think that we will be a bottom 10 defense. I don't I don't expect us to be the worst because there's so many other teams that have much more glaring flaws, but I don't expect us to be an average defense. Would you expect Portland to be an average defense if they moved Hart over to the two and went Nas to the three and had a little more size and in length? Yeah, but I don't I don't actually see that happening. I was more hypothetical. Like is there yes, a, yes, a yes, way I could. Yeah, I could average defense. Because of the it goes, you're replacing two net negatives with one one positive offender, and then you still have your net. You can put Damien on, you can put Damien on Joe Harris. You can put you Dame, can hide Damien Lillard. Yeah. You can't hide Dame and, 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 and potentially Josh Hart against a really tall three. Like he's yeah. like, like we, we've said, we, I love Josh Hart as a big two. I don't necessarily love him as a small three. I, I think. I think we will see Anthony Simon start. I think there's too much politics involved in in that. Um, if Ant, do you see Ant becoming? 
I don't ever see Ant being like an aggressive defender, but he's one of those guys like, you know how Norman Powell's like, I'm not going to fuck up. I'm not going to fuck up type of defense. If do you see Ant having the ability to just stay in front of the guy and put in, you know, the Norman Powell type of defense of effort on him where it's not, he's not causing any like turnovers. He's just contesting and staying in front of his guy. Do you see that as a avenue for Anthony Simons staying on the court more? I mean, I think that's probably his peak. Uh, if if we're if we're being honest, I mean, I mean yeah, I think the it's biggest thing for him, the biggest thing for Anthony, what I've noticed is off ball, and it's a lot with the young players. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah. the communication, like. I think he can stay in front of most twos. I think it's going to be like if he gets on a Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, they're just going to punish him in the post. Like he still needs to get stronger. But those two are going to punish everybody. Uh, They will, but you don't want them hunting them like, you know, other teams hunted Ennis Cantor, for for example. Where Where I want to see Ant take the growth is off ball because I think that can be taught with repetition I oh think absolutely you can wrap that stuff out he's long he's quick he should be able to make some instinctive decisions in the passing lanes get out use that athleticism um that's stuff that i want to see him i don't know if he'll ever be a point of attack defender i, I just don't see that but if you can at least become solid off ball like that's where portland becomes a much more credible mm-hmm. defense not an elite not a good just, just Incredible. Like you don't have to write home about it. Nobody's talking about you with how bad you are. You're just, you're unknown. You just, you keep flying under the radar. So I think that's as long as I, he's not like attackable in clutch scenarios, like that's all we're at. We're not asking for Desmond Bain level defense. We're just asking for teams are not actively hunting you. Cause if, if Ant becomes huntable, his, his, he, he probably cannot be on the floor. So if he can just remain like we're not actively attacking you, we're not we're not treating you like Jalen Brunson and putting a post on you. We're just you're just you're just there. On, on regular season, I, I'm not afraid of what we're talking about. But if, if the ultimate goal is making the play playoffs or play in, Ant could be huntable. So if if, if he takes that that challenge of being a, a a good defender on then there's then I'm less worried but what I saw last year he had to shoulder so much offensively that he couldn't do the defense but now that Damian Lillard's back there definitely is a chance that he could be the uh, a, a a decent defender hopefully Let's switch gears and talk about the actual draft that took place Thursday night in, in Brooklyn. A lot of rumors were swirling whether Portland would move the, the, the seventh pick for a, a John Collins or an OG Ananobi uh, or trading down with OKC, getting a, a Lou Dort type of player. But as the draft fell, the guy that was rumored to be their pick ended up being their pick. Portland takes the, the man of mystery in the 2022 NBA draft, taking uh, Shaden Sharp. Uh, 6'6 guard out of London, Ontario, Canada. He reclassified. So right now he really was projected to be graduating. He'd be a graduated senior who'd go off to Kentucky, which he committed to as the number one overall high school player and start playing basketball in the fall. He reclassified, which means that he was able to join Kentucky uh, after he graduated last winter and made the decision. 
with him and coach Calipari, I'm going to just sit out, essentially use this as a gap year, a red shirt year, work on my game. I'm going to practice not too dissimilar from what Anthony Simons did when he was a four-star recruit with Louisville and decided I'm not going to go to Louisville. I'm going to go to IMG Academy in Florida and I'm going to work on my game. That's kind of what Shaden Sharp did, just did it in a much more under the radar fashion. And I know people may like question the competitiveness. Oh, I want to see him play. Like, what can he do? I would always caution against that because the deck is stacked so much against him. You look, remember Michael Porter Jr. when he had all those back issues for Missouri? Well, he finally came back and played, I think like one game and he didn't look good. And it, I, I assure you, it didn't help his draft stock. I know the medicals uh, didn't help either, but that didn't help his draft stock. You look at a player like Jaden Hardy was the number two recruit, goes to the G League Ignite, does not have a great season there. And he drops to the middle of the second round. Shaden Sharp was just doing what Shaden Sharp was supposed to do. This is how the game is, is played. And, and that's how he was playing the game. He knew that if he just went to his workouts, sent teams his medicals, uh, practiced with Kentucky, he was going to be a top 10 pick. And that's exactly what he did. If you, if you read all of the reports, um, Coach Calipari says that he would have been the number one, number two pick if he stayed. And Coach Cal for, it could be hyperbole. I mean, Coach Cal does get to say, I got another first round pick in the NBA. I recruited the number one overall player in the draft class. Go Kentucky, go Kentucky, go Kentucky. You know, big blue nation, whatever they want to say. However, I do think Coach Calipari in this area has a lot of merit. If there is one collegiate coach that is the hit maker for NBA prospects, it's Coach Calipari, and he has seen his fair share of NBA studs. What I love about this pick is it is a complete swing for the fences. You're a team that is not only in the small market, but you are desperate for a young, up-and-coming potential superstar with, with size, with length, with athleticism, with, with all of the raw materials you need to build this player into the prototypical two-way wing that is dominating the modern NBA basketball. Uh, I, I love the fact, and it makes me more um, content with the pick that Portland brought in Mike Schmitz. There's probably nobody on earth that knows more about Shaden Sharp than Mike Schmitz. He was the ESPN draft expert, seen a ton of his film. Uh, he has met with him in person, and then he obviously was there on hand for the draft workouts. Um, I think he's an unfinished product. I think he's a long-term pick, but why I am so happy and actually I feel that Portland has somewhat of a future is you're still able to compete with Dame. You got two to four years, however long it's going to be with him at this at this level. But you've got Shaden Sharp, 18, 19 years old. You got Nasir Little, 21, 22. Anthony Simons is 22 years old. Like you can realistically see a world in which Dame kind of sunsets, sunsets off into the future in the distance and you still are playing with a lot of house money and you've got a really excellent core to build around. It's not like Dame's gone, team falls off a cliff. We're now the process Sixers for the next three years. So that's why I love it. I, I was so against trading this pick for a veteran because I didn't think it was going to be the veteran that was going to push us over the top. This isn't Kevin Durant disgruntled and saying, I want to go to Portland, give us the seventh pick. This wasn't it. It was role players like Ananobi and John Collins who have name recognition but really are not close to being all-star caliber players. I mean, there's only 24 players in the NBA that get to be all-stars. They're not top 24 players. I want to address the uh, Kentucky thing because 
when he was able, what like he reclassified late and graduated. Kentucky was like a two seed. They were they were good. You know how bad it could have gotten if you installed the shade and sharp into that team. What happens to everybody's roles? They all move down a peg. And what if Shaden Sharp doesn't fit with that team? It could have had catastrophe written all over it. Kentucky was like the number one team for quite a bit with Ty Ty Washington and Oscar Shibwe. That could have fucked everything up. And the fact is Shaden Sharp hadn't played basketball in two full years, competitive basketball, obviously. So there were more risks than just Lord. letting it ride and being the number two seed in in the division and losing like there there could have been so much more obviously it could have gotten better but it could have gotten worse because of the, just like this complete and total infusion of talent remember that uh secret base episode about the pacers when they brought in players that could, should have helped but it really made players worry about their roles shade and sharp on a college team everybody's worried about their roles every guard is worried about their roles. Oscar Shibe would have been fine. He doesn't. Shaden Sharp would only make his life better. But those Ty Ty Washington, he fell. If Shaden Sharp was there the entire year, he Ty Ty would have been of the forty eighth pick. So it it negatively would have affected things of having Shaden Sharp appear that later in the year as, as a team is competing for for a spot in March. But Shaden Sharp, I think, is the rare is rare because he has versatility, he has skill, he has he ha- he can switch and everything, and that is what the NBA is looking for. But what puts him over the edge and puts him like on the oct- high octane gasoline of stardom is he has all of that, but he also has high tier athleticism. I think the NBA is all about the skill and versatility, but when you put someone that is a athlete like like Shaden Sharp or or Ant Edwards or Jalen Green, that's when you can just pour gasoline on on it and it explodes. So that that was what the the I I truly thought that the Blazers were going to trade the pick if Shaden Sharp wasn't there. I think Shade I think they they found that Shaden Sharp was their guy. If he was picked, they they're trading it down to you know. 13 or whatever, 13 and 15. But when you have such a, a nuclear option like Shaden Sharp is as a as a NBA player, it, it, that is the best and only chance. I, I wrote about in my blog, like you have teams like Portland and Indiana have to take that that potential player. And I, I think that obviously his ceiling's high, but a guy that has a shot like that that's that athletic. I, I mean, I think the bust potential is pretty low because he has such a high, high athletic indicators. Like he, he can jump extremely high. He's athletic. You're going to find a role for that type of athlete on an NBA floor. But I mean, like an athlete with that shot and that the, those abilities, especially in the cutting, like you're going to find a role for him. He's not going to be either the best player in the draft class or the absolute worst. I think there's a nice creamy middle in, in Shaden Sharp's um, abilities. So 
I, I, I know that people are afraid of the unknown that there's only 16 games of him recorded, but he has all the attributes that make it. So there is no like disgusting floor in his outcomes. I know that I was very negative when I first watched him because he doesn't have like high chair dribble moves and that's an issue, but he does have things that you can build an NBA team around. And I think that obviously like once Dame is gone, I think Shaden Sharp is the alpha of the team. I, I, I think he has the highest chance of being the, the, the superstar player on the team. Now it's about efficiently using him and making sure he reaches that potential. This is, this is Chauncey Billups's ultimate goal is to help um, Shaden Sharp achieve that, that, uh, that high end outcome. Yeah, there's, I mean, you talk about the risk and reward of him playing for Kentucky. The reward would be going four to, to the Kings. I mean, that's as high as anybody was going to go in this draft. The three bigs were going to go off the board. Uh, it would have taken a miraculous run at Kentucky for him to supplant uh, one of those three players. And then there's always the risk of injury. I think a lot of people mistake competitiveness with like intelligence. And I just don't understand why, like if, if somebody's telling you, Sage, you can just practice and you're going to make be the seventh pick. You do that. You don't say, no, I'm competitive and I'm going to play next year at Kentucky and I'm going to be the number one pick. You know how many things have to go right for that to happen? Like this is life changing money for this young man. Like this, his dream is fulfilled. And now he gets to go to a great situation in Portland where it's not going to be New York. It's not going to be Chicago or Los Angeles where you've got just a media frenzy. You're not going to be asked to save a franchise. Yeah, right he's not the, the franchise vet. saver. That's Damian Lillard right now. You're able to go play with a vet who by all accounts treats the best player and the worst player exactly the same. He's going to take him under his wing. He's going to show him how to be a professional on the court and off the court. He's going to get ushered in at his own pace. Uh, I think there is a real role for him next year where he's ninth, 10th man, you know, get spot minutes. If somebody's hurt, somebody has COVID uh, it's a back-to-back and you need to play additional players. I think he's a guy who's going to come in and give you uh, good hustle minutes. Like, and I also think it's important not to like judge this player one off of summer league, two off of his rookie year. CJ McCollum was not a good player his rookie year before he got hurt. Like, I had a front row seat sitting on press row watching it. He he was not ready. He turned out to be pretty fucking good, and he was supposed to be a polished player. Like, you have to give some players some time. Let he him hasn't adjust. played defense in two years. Except for those workouts. Uh, and so but are you really you're not competitive basketball and workouts are so so different. They are, but you said not deep. I said that's except for workouts. That's all just making a a, a, just so do you give him on ball reps? Because I I think the 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 uh the thing that makes him a star is is on ball reps so he can develop those moves. Like workouts were his only practices and workouts were his only form of learning how to be that alpha. Like, I think that having at least some on ball responsibilities off the bench is going to be unbelievably important for his development because the real difference between what he is and what he can be is 
the feel and the actual playmaking of Anthony Edwards or or Jalen Green. It's it's those on ball reps, which is so precious in an in in a game environment. Yeah, you have to let this kid play. You can't just redshirt him again. Like, I'm not saying you go out and start him, but he, he needs to play. He needs, he needs to play. like 16 minutes off the bench to be that guy. Yep, exactly. Like, no no more, you know, giving players like, no no offense to, to a Brandon Williams or a CJ Ellaby or, or, or someone like that. Like, this guy is somebody you heavily invested in. This is the best asset that you have had since drafting one Damian Lillard, the highest lottery pick since 2012. Like this, this is your guy. This is your investment. You need to do whatever it takes to make sure that you give Shade and Sharp all of the tools and resources to reach his full potential as an NBA professional. And I, I think the the market is good for him. Portland is a small, big city. Um, he's a soft-spoken uh, guy. You know, you can listen to his interviews and you know, he's a little reserved. And, and I think Portland will be just fine for him. He doesn't have to go and, you know, go into just a, a shark, you know, shark infested waters of some media markets. Like, I, I don't know if that would have, would benefit him, but he goes into a place where he's valued, he's wanted, and he will be needed big time down, down the line. Um, Portland also uh, picked up, they traded the 46th pick uh, to Denver for a 2024 second round pick, but with the second to last pick in the NBA draft, number 58, they took freshman Jabari Walker, uh, a combo forward out of the University of Colorado. Uh, I was surprised to see that Jabari was still on the board, but teams were making questionable selections left and right in the late first and, and second rounds, just taking unrealistic hacks at the ball, trying to hit it out of the ballpark. Uh, Jabari Walker is a a smart basketball player, and he has the capabilities of becoming a really good defender. I saw a good a lot of pick and pop potential with him um, at Colorado. He was first team All Pac twelve as a freshman. There's a clip of them playing Tennessee and uh, first round pick Kennedy Chandler, and he got switched onto him, and he's holding his own. Like Kennedy Chandler is one of the fastest players in this draft, um, one of his best attributes. Yet Jabari was able to stay with him, so. I think that's another player that Portland gets into their system, spends time in the G League. But again, if there's injuries or COVID or you just need extra bodies, you can give him a few spot minutes. But I, you know, for a second round pick, like I am stoked for. I thought he was going to be our 40 something. Yeah, I, I would have been be fine honest. if they took him at 36, if they, yeah. if they can that pick. Like I think that highly of him, like I think he's a definite second round prospect, but they're Forwards who could move like that, you just you just don't find. Um, I mean, he, he, his father played in the league, so he obviously has the uh, shout out to Samaki Walker yeah. in that uh, draft suit that will never be. Uh, that's, that's one of the most infamous draft suits of all time with that little uh, hat. I mean, body wise, he moves he moves weird. Like, he, don't don't expect him to be to be like a fluid athlete. He moves weird, but it it it, it works. Like uh, uh, Jared Allen moves weird. Jabari moves weird, so, and that that's fine because he can he knows his body and can put himself in places to be a plus defender and and shooter. Honestly, like I think he takes Greg Brown's minutes. I think he takes Trenton Watford's minutes because he actually has that defensive acumen that we need. And he 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 is a shooter. So 
Well, I, I kind of think that you can throw him in and he won't sink. He he'll swim in in those like fifth man big minutes or fifth man forward minutes. I I I fully expect him to be in our rotation um in a few years where he like Trenton Watford and Greg Brown just aren't aren't factors and and, and all of the those minutes are going to Walker to you know guard guard on the perimeter or hit that open three. He just has a skill set that the Blazers don't have with you know perimeter defense and defense and and shooting that just isn't a thing that the Blazers had. So I, I expect him to be a pretty nice rotation piece. Be fun to watch him and Shaden Sharp play in summer league. I know Portland got a marquee game against Detroit. Um, and it's not I, going, obviously, right? Who? No. Simon's not going. So, no. so Shaden's probably going to be the the ball handler for them, unless they bring in some another guy. Yeah, I, you, you got to factor. You got to assume Keon Johnson will be there. Jabari Walker will be there. Um, Obviously, Shaden Sharp. I would assume both Greg Brown and Trenton Wofford play, um, but I'm not. The roster hasn't been announced. Uh, aside from Portland, who I think we both thought had a really nice draft night, who were uh, a couple of the teams that stood out to you that had really solid drafts? I mean, Detroit, obviously. I mean, the Kings goofing and taking Keegan Murray at four, allowing Detroit to get Ivy at five, and then trading in and getting Jalen Duran at like they just they just completed a really nice turnaround. Like they have they have players like uh, Sadiq Bay that can make lot, their lives easier. They have built something that is really really. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch Detroit play basketball. But they they got, in my opinion, the player that most teams are going to fear the most with Jaden Ivey, and then they got the best playmaking. You know point guard to set up Durand to set up Ivy. I think they built something pretty awesome. And then, I mean, Houston just building, get, getting Jabari, getting Tari, Ty Ty. Like that is a lot of good, good assets. Um, and Oklahoma city getting Jalen Williams, getting Chet like that. that There's some good value picks on them, but the, the first two that I mentioned have to be one and two. Yeah, those would be mine as well. I also really like the Miami Heat picking up uh, Nikola Jovic in yeah. the late first round. Um, just a player who I think is going to flourish in their culture. Um, he's already can shoot the ball. They will teach him how to play respectable defense. If, he, if they don't, he won't make the league. Um, I would also say that Golden State. <laughs> Golden State. I mean, Ryan Rollins in the second round. Um they now can really afford to let Jordan Poole go or play quote unquote hard ball with him. Like they are so far in the luxury tax that it's yeah, they're champions. Uh, don't get me wrong there, but maybe there's only so much the, the lake, the Cubs uh, are willing to, um, to spend. And I just, I think they got value Jordan Poole right there. Like Ryan Rollins has an incredible handle shot making ability. I, the, Remember my blog? I said that they need a, a a secondary ball handler. They just picked up the best one at, at at that late in the draft. And if you listen to our board episode, they we talked about Ryan Rollins being like the twenty second best player or eighteenth best player, and they got him for forty. Uh, 
I, I think that I, I really want to go back. I think the Blazers got one of the best value picks in the draft in Jabari. Like, I would say he's like a late 30s guy. To get him that late is a really good pick by the Blazers. I think, obviously, I got to say it, I think Atlanta Hawks got one of the best value picks in, in, in the draft as well with AJ. Well, like, I had him at, at, at six, and they got him late lo- or after the lottery. That's good value. Like, that, where Atlanta took him is the value that you think is appropriate for AJ. So if we're using my my board, that's excellent. That's like plus 11 value for, for Atlanta. I think two teams we haven't talked about. Um, I loved what the Chicago Bulls did getting Dale and Terry. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I think he's going to flourish in that, in that, in that system, in that, just that group of players. He's going to be the defensive force. Um, he's just going to be able to free fly and him with Zach Levine. Uh, that's going to be like, that's a league pass team to watch. If, if they unleash Dale and Terry, uh, I just, I love his attitude, his mentality. Um, and then I know you're not a big fan of this team, but I actually really liked what new Orleans did getting Adele and Dyson Daniels. I, I think new Orleans. And I I said this new Orleans doesn't need to swing for the fences. They have Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum. Your core is set. You've also hit in the draft with Trey Murphy and Herb Jones and signed Jose Alvarado. Dyson Daniels, the ceiling might not be there. The floor is pretty damn high. I think he does everything that you want in a, a team-oriented game. Like, he's not a big ego. He's going to distribute. He's going to play great defense. Uh, I, I like that pick. Then EJ Liddell, who I think is value Keegan Murray. I had him in the top 20. And that's probably the best value. Yeah, he, he was 41. I think he's another player who's going to play a fuck ton of defense. He's going to play without an ego. He's going to hit open shots, and the Pelicans all of a sudden have a plethora of switchable lineups that can go out there and match any team. So I really liked what, what New Orleans can did. Can I talk about Dyson? I, I think that the player is fine. The fit is atrociously bad, and that's why I was upset because there were players there that are much better fits. I think that Dyson Daniels is a good playmaker. They're not going to use him for his playmaking with CJ and Brandon. I think he is a great defender. He will be on the court because of his defense, but I think he is a complete non-factor in everything offensively because they have more established vets in that place. You're not, you're not taking the ball away from CJ to give it to Dyson. You're not taking the ball away from Zion to give it to Dyson. You're not giving the ball away to, from Brandon to give it to Dyson. I, so I agree, part, but, but I will, will say CJ is – 31 years old. Dyson's like 18. Like yeah, sure. there, there's, there's, there's the world in which Dyson five years down the line is playmaking with Brandon and Zion. So like, I don't think it's necessarily but he would be the tertiary guy. Sure. The... Like, I don't think it's maybe the, the greatest pick for them now, but like New Orleans isn't going to win a championship. Now they're trying to win it in four or five years, which their time really starts to, to tick. And I think that's when he is able to play with them. Like, I think, Oh boy, we got Derek White with the eighth pick. That's great. No, give me Usman Dang. I I can be upset about this pick because of the fit. Nobody listening to this podcast watches the Pelicans more than me. I think it's an. I'm not saying fit. you don't have a valued opinion. I, I or uh, I, and the I, ringers I, bullshit. That fit is awful. I'm not saying the ringers the gospel. I'm just trying to give you some positive feedback. Heaven I don't forbid. need positive feedback for this pick, man. I watched Dyson Daniels and I. In my opinion, it is a bad pick. Somebody can sway me. I'd prefer you not to. But 
I don't like the pick. I think it's bad. But in four years, I could be wrong. But right now, this pick is not the best fit for this team. I would have preferred a guy that can allow and empower CJ and and Brandon and Zion. This does not empower that. In, In the future, it could be different, but he has to develop a shot and develop dribble moves. Two of skills that I think are pretty damn hard. So, yeah, I, I think that they killed it with the EJ Liddell pick, and then they fucked up the first pick. Um, but I am willing to have my mind being changed, but right now I think that was a bad use of assets. I, I think that front office deserves a little bit more benefit of the doubt given their, their recent moves. That's all I would say. I mean, I don't, I don't need to give them the benefit of the doubt. They he Dyson can prove it, but today, where there's no basketball being played, I think the fit is atrocious. Okay, thank God, have faith. It's all right. Hey, man, you you said that Dyson Daniels would bum you out if he was picked Blazer. for so- Portland because <laughs> Portland needs to swing for the fences. New Orleans doesn't. I think it's it's not apples to apples. Like I, I, I but I, he would I, been a bad fit in Portland because they need shooting. He's a bad fit on New Orleans because they need because Portland needs a potential superstar. I don't think Dyson has superstar ceiling. I think Dyson has very good player ceiling. Like I, I just think that the situations are different. Like New Orleans is building something. They've got their superstars. You need players that are going to come in and play egoless basketball, play defense, and just get the job done. And I, I think he he will do that for the Pelicans. And a year ago, I would have said, hmm, I, what, what, what are they doing? Like, they've made some sketchy decisions. But, like, after last year's draft and then what they only had to give up for CJ, like, they deserve the benefit of the doubt. That's why I'm not picking picking on Memphis right here. Like, I don't know why they took Jake LaRavia. No, or, fuck, we should take – no. The, the Memphis Jake LaRavia was an awful doing. pick. I, I am not going to talk shit about Memphis. Like, they have done such a great – they've drafted your booze, Bain and Tillman. Uh, they did great with Zaire Williamson. Um, Zara Williams, excuse me. Uh, Brandon Clark was a steal. Like there are certain organizations that I just like, I will give them the benefit. Like there's like, Oh, like the Miami heat, like they turn water into wine more times than not. So maybe I may not be as high on that player, but if they go to a situation, I'm like, what are they seeing that I'm not like they're they might know something. So I'm not going to like, just say like, what the fuck are they doing? Like the Knicks, like if the Knicks would have done like, what would he Knicks? You haven't done anything right in two decades. You don't earn my trust. So that's all I'm saying is that some front offices have credibility in my eyes to where if they make a decision that I'm not so sure on, I'll be like, okay, I'll give you a little bit of more time before I say, what the hell were you doing? I no, no, I Memphis fucked up by taking Jake Floravia because he could have got, you could have had better value for him later in the draft because i don't think he's he's all he does there is a bar to climb for jake laravia to be able to play in the nba with athleticism and in every game that i watched he did not fit that bar so yes they have hit before and new orleans has hit before but when when you see something that you think is wrong i'm gonna uh, i have at least have an informed opinion on it i'm gonna say I don't really fuck with this this pick, Memphis. I don't really fuck with this pick, Portland. I don't really fuck with this pick, New Orleans. Sure. I mean, I don't love that that pick for for Memphis either, but they've 
they've proven me wrong in the past. Yeah, so. but they've also failed in in the process of getting players. Every team fails. I would rather my fail be at 35 than nine or eight or 17. Shit, that was a free fucking pick you guys got. You didn't think in your Lakers. Oh, no, I didn't think that they would get it. But now that it became a reality, I'm going to obviously value it the way that an eighth pick in a draft should be valued. And I'm not going to take somebody that I don't think is worthy of the eighth pick at the eighth pick. Moving forward, what do the Blazers do in free agency, Sage? I don't know. Who do they look to get? And how are they going to utilize Eric Bledsoe's contract before, I believe, July 10th when it becomes fully guaranteed at 18 plus million dollars. I think they traded, but I don't, I, I, I can't tell you who we're targeting because there's just so many rumors of what, what the type of like. player would you target? What position are, do you think? I, th- I, I think that the number one thing is you have to be able to shoot the basketball because the play, the, the Blazers only have two legit shooters. So I think in everything that they look at, that it has to be a two way version of the player but they have to be able to shoot the ball from three. Uh, Damian Lillard needs the spacing that uh, that good shooting provides. So what I would be looking for is a backup point guard that can shoot or somebody that can be a threat offensively where you can't cheat off a player. Because, I mean, you can cheat off Nasir. You can cheat off Yusuf. You can cheat off Jeremy Grant. You need to find somebody where that isn't an option to cheat off of them. So I would the first thing I would look for is offense, uh, like a high value shooter, and then match him with a defense. Hopefully that person also can defend. So I would look for D and three players in every aspect of it. How do you feel about Portland's rumored interest in facilitating a three team deal in which they would just acquire Matisse Thibel? I think that goes against what I just said pretty heavily, doesn't it? But what if you can get Matisse Thibel for free, just a trade exception? Sure, but he needs to get vaxxed because well, yeah, yeah. Um, I he's so difficult to you know put to to analyze as a player because he's such a positive defensively, but an absolute net negative offensively, and we have a lot of those. But I think what he can do on the defensive end is worth it. Outside of that, it you got to get me some shooters on this team. You have to get dames. If if we're doing this thing for Dame, you have to have some knockdown shooters around him. The entire pro, the entire thought process of our of our offense is predicated on shooters hitting open shots. I Matisse isn't doing that. I think the Blazers need to find some more bigger bodies. Right now, you have uh, Yusuf Nurkic and Jeremy Grant as your only two grown adults that are going to get rotation minutes. Uh, next year at the four and the five. So whoever it is, it, whether it's a backup center or a backup power forward, uh, maybe you split the mid-level. Um, one thing they need to worry about is the roster is pretty much full right now. Like they're they're keeping Jabari Walker. They're not putting him on a two-way contract. Joe Crony mentioned they already have Brandon Williams on a two-way contract. They have one more two-way open. Um, they're pretty full unless they decide to move off of DD. Um I don't believe they'll bring back Elijah Hughes or CJ Ellaby, but I was looking literally at the roster. And I was like, holy shit, there's room for one more player. So they, they'll probably have to take Eric Bledsoe and someone else just to f- open up a roster spot because, space, yeah. because you know, they're going to want to use their mid-level exception. You know, they're going to want to trade Eric Bledsoe and get someone. So um, it'll be interesting um, to see what, yeah. what they, what they do. Free agency starts 
here uh, June 30th at nine o'clock Pacific Standard Time. So a little less than a, a week away. Uh, Sage, I think that about wraps up this episode. Uh, anything, any final words? Want to let our fans know where they can find this podcast? We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio. And uh, follow us on Twitter. He is dhaz 22 at the Holy Backboard. And I'm at DeSage. Peace out. I am getting some lunch. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's